0: to what I think is episode 10 of the Arse podcast, apologies for any previous mistakes on that, and we're here for our EPQ special today, which means we've got four guests. You are so lucky. And hopefully we will be attaining lots of secret knowledge with them today. Just to remind you, I am Jenny Summers, um, the Deputy Head of English and Drama at John Hamden Grammar School. (laughs) Just clarify that from last time. Not grammar, Mark. Not grammar. (laughs) I do, you know, I'm I'm quite happy with grammar, otherwise Sir might fire me. Uh, But yes, absolutely, it's not part of my job title. And sir?
1: And I am Mark Till, and I'm the Head of English and Drama, which we're going to start doing more of. Uh, at John Hamden and we have big news there is a winner what whoa already of the 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 clue hunting but it is it is Mrs. Templing what of course now Mrs. Mrs. Templing is a Mrs. Templing is a knowing sort Mrs. Templing unsurprisingly only took two clues to unravel the mystery um, and has very kindly said that she will not accept the prize but we will, will wait till Ooh. a student solves the mystery. So students have to prove that they are a little tiny bit less clever than Mrs Templing. There'll be a third clue at some point today. <laughs> oh,
0: I thought you were going to give it to us now, sir. I thought you were going to just change it up a bit. I oh, can't spoil it.
1: I OK, fine, we'll have, we'll, have we'll have the clue right now, shall we? Go for it. OK, third clue is Tony. Tony. T-O-N-I.
0: OK, I should stop thinking about that now and actually get on with the podcast. Tony, protocols.
1: third clue.
0: This is... Good. I'm, I'm Big interested.
1: prize. Email your so- solutions or, you know, attempted solutions
0: <laughs> to <laughs> one of us. Yeah. sure they're going to do a great job. And as I said, um, we've got four amazing guests today to talk about their EPQs, their extended project qualifications. And I'm going to start, I think, with Tom and he's going to tell us what the title is of his
2: EPQ. Are we introducing ourselves as well? Yes, please. Okay. Um, I'm, 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 I'm Tom. Um, I've been on three of the podcasts. I so go listen to them first. Since the last podcast they've promoted me. Um, I'm now Deputy Head Boy in charge of PR um, and my EPQ is titled uh, Regarding the Current State of Dark Matter Research, Are We Wasting Our Time and Money?
0: It's a really light, easy topic that anyone can get their head around. I'm sure you agree. And Matthew? Um,
3: I'm Matthew. Nothing really special about me. Other than I'm a student at John Amden. And my EPQ is titled, To What Extent a Roller is Safe?
0: I should just say, there is a lot special about Matthew. He beat Teo in some exams. That on his own. <laughs>
3: in, in physics and chemistry.
4: Well, there, there we go. go. Yeah. Something
0: definitely special about you. Sorry, Teo, if you're listening.
4: And Shane. Uh, yeah, I'm Shane. I am incredibly special. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, my EPQ is, on, is assessing the value of Shakespeare through the help of three different subcontexts. It's position in the secondary school curriculum and whether it should stay there.
0: Absolutely, and he is in my English literature class and he is fantastic. And also we have the fantastic Ruben.
5: Yep, so um, I'm Ruben. This is my first podcast. So I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I'm also deputy head boy. I'm in charge of the Men in Black team. Um, And my EPQ was on the 2008 financial crisis and it was titled, with the benefit of hindsight, to what extent could the 2008 financial crisis have been foreseen and avoided?
0: My goodness, quite a topics, big one. There, yeah. Big topics. We thought we'd begin with a kind of elevator pitch. So we've got four very different topics here. What makes yours the one we really need to know about? What makes it fascinating? What made you pick it? etc. Give us a bit of an overview. We're going to give you one minute only to do that. Good luck.
2: Okay. Uh, Well, we'll start with that. My EPQ regards dark matter, which is the biggest mystery in modern physics, as billed by most physics professors. Um, And it's not just about dark matter, but it's more about the way scientists think um, and the way we fund things in science. So I believe at the moment the way we fund sort of new projects in science needs to change a little bit um, and the way we assume things in science need to change a little bit. So my project is not just unique because dark matter, wow, um, but <laughs> because it looks deeper into the way that scientists think and fund. I've got like 20 seconds left. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it effectively looks at A, is the theory correct behind dark matter? Um, B, is the things we're using with that theory Right, are they the right money to be spending? Are they too expensive? Environmental concerns, etc. 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 So it's a bit of everything, um, but it looks primarily at the um sort of current state of dark matter research in physics.
3: Fair enough. All right, Shane, you're gonna start time <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're going that we're going, official. Oh, okay. So I just chose mine a bit less intense than Tom's, but I just really like roller coasters and I thought I wanted to see how dangerous my hobby was, so I just looked into. <laughs> Accident rates and the spread of the different types of accidents and their causes, and just found that they're pretty safe, to be honest.
5: Phew. <laughs> that's I
3: mean that, that's really it. To you had to have it. get
2: a company to disclose some oh yeah, information no, did, to you I got as well.
3: NDA from IAPA, which are very Ooh. big in the roller coaster world. Ooh. None of you have probably ever heard <laughs> of them, <laughs> but you know. Roller coaster world. <laughs> 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 you you did it. well
0: there, that was definitely under a minute. Pretty? Yeah.
4: Than you, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to lead my pitch with one word, and that is accessibility. <laughs> no one knows about dark matter, <laughs> but there's one thing that everyone has to do, one thing in life, one constant, Tax. and that is Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, sometimes you have to look at it and wonder if Shakespeare is really necessary. I certainly did. I've convinced myself since that it is entirely necessary. Still, you know, haven't decided if that was because I was taking A-level English that I tried to convince myself that I liked Shakespeare or not. But, you know, <laughs> I think stock, it was important Stockholm Syndrome. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I, I think there is a lot of that going on, especially with the EPQ. So <laughs> I, was, I was assessing the position of Shakespeare through, as I said, three different subcontexts: cultural, linguistic, and co- cognitive. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, it's an interesting read. You get to see the assessment of something that has been so long-standing in a curriculum and has held such, a, such an esteemed position in a curriculum, I don't think there's many topics or parts of a curriculum that can say that. And accessibility, no one likes dark matter. I think also the interesting
2: (laughs) part about your EPQ is because there was another EPQ this year that did Shakespeare, Mm, but you looked at a big sort of cognitive level of it. I remember reading the bit and like P600 neurons and stuff. I'm not going to pretend I understand that. um, But (laughs) the the idea that there is more than just um, Shakespeare bad because we can't relate, that which, which was an argument put forward in the other one. But it's, yeah, I guess, I guess that's what makes it unique.
5: Yes, so um, I would like to say mine is also an interesting read, but it is quite dull. <laughs> um, but no. So um, I think the reason I want to do mine on the financial crisis is because I'm interested in going into economics or finance um, as a future career and do economics at university. And so it was just something where um, I thought it would be really beneficial to kind of go beyond the curriculum that sort of thing and um yeah that was really it um i guess i also take financial studies at as level so that kind of helped to tie in with that as well so um, yeah so it's just and i think it's also quite a topical um kind of topic um <laughs> because obviously with the current recession we're in the kind of the economy doing weird things um <laughs> i think it's good to have i think we can learn from the mistakes and the lessons learned and hopefully move forward
0: over to you, sir. I don't know why
1: I'm making the assumption that you've got so e- wonderful. Q- Q- so, Q- so in terms, Q- d- <laughs> d- i done. I've done. I'm. A, I'm such an imposter. <laughs> I'm, I'm. sitting here having done no EPQ. <laughs> um, Mr. shall Pab I start by questioning, things. and then we will we'll try and move the focus around the different ones. So mm. our yeah. outcome is going to be whose is really the most interesting mm. through how oh. we deal with being Not under under questioning. I'm going to start with Ruben with yours. Um. Devil's advocate, isn't economics actually a pretend science where we can't the sure, even more even more than theoretical dark matter, uh, we can pretend that we can learn from economic history, but really is it scientific enough to have that level of predictability, do you think?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very good point. And before I did A-level economics, I was definitely... On the same kind of wavelength as you, a kind of a non-believer. Um, but no, <laughs> once having I believe that <laughs>
1: economics exist. Oh, I'm course. just not sure that you, no, can you yeah. can you derive accurate predictions from things.
5: Yes, yeah. So um, I think it's I think it's the same with anything really. I think if you look at the past with history generally, I think it's important to see how almost how far we've come and how there are um, it's quite a cyclical structure um, in terms of our economics in terms of our history and so i think it is important to use the mistakes the failures we might have um made or experienced to in order to move forward and yeah while i do understand that some people um probably don't see how we can use our past because obviously it's very different time now i still think that there is value in looking back and um using that kind of our past we can move forward.
1: Did you conclude that it should have been avoided?
5: No, so I concluded that it should. Conclusion? It was difficult to have been avoided, but it could have been foreseen. However, I think the warning signs that allowed it to have been foreseen came quite late. And so at that point, it was difficult for it to have been avoided. So
1: for our other panellists, Ruben has quite a strong claim to having the most practical PQ, because if we could avoid another financial crash, surely that would have the most human benefit. And so he should win because that's very important i'd like to
2: counter that um with but i mean it's probably worth also just putting out the question now i mean the one i asked at your epq is will we actually learn from this Mm. um because you look at you know the great depression you look at the then the 2008 recession it seems like we've not learned anything from anything um but no i think i'd like to counter that with the fact that given so a Um, there's a huge environmental cost with with my subjects especially with the changing state of the way we use physics and medicine Um, but also the idea that should dark matter follow a thermal model and we stop innovating we stop engineering based on that concept then we actually lose out on a whole lot of like effectively free energy for the for the world so my I mean it's quite utopian but um my my EPQ sort of looks at the topics that you know the the, f- the way future civilization might work
1: tom for the benefit of our listener the listener that we have out there um who might not know what dark <laughs> i realize i've used quite a bit of jargon already who yeah. might not know what dark matter is can you give us dark matter in 10 seconds wow. um no. space don't look <laughs> how it
2: is um it's pretty <laughs> much how yeah that that is that is effectively dark matter. What you can see is not necessarily what's there.
1: Is it a hypothetical construct to try and solve problems currently in physics? Uh, yes and no. Okay. Yes, it started like that. Yes, it's
2: that was basically in short. Gal- scientists notice galaxies spin too fast. Um, they don't. They break physics, but no, because of the things we've observed only follow. The things that have been observed in space only follow a pattern that dark matter would create, in in the simplest way. When I showed you that big photo of the Bullet Cluster, the only way we can explain that at the moment is dark matter. But it so it's be, implied. It's implied, but hasn't been physically detected yet.
1: But that's also technically part of the nature of it. Gotcha. Is it doesn't. We can't interact. So with when it. you talk about researching dark matter, you mean the scientific enterprise to try and to try prove and prove it beyond it, just yeah, implying. To, yeah. To discover dark matter. To discover ma- dark matter, to say this here is dark
2: matter, I know it is here, yeah. um, and then use that matter to make energy yes. in the simplest way possible. Can Matthew, I- why do you like roller coasters so
3: much? <laughs> <laughs> same question. Just a hobby. Um, how many? You, how many
1: have you been on, and how many times? To Just
3: be honest, I used to hate them. Um, wow. Only recently, like right before COVID, um, I went to Thought Park and absolutely loved it. Bit of a plug for Merlin here, but <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely loved it, and I was planning to go over the summer to many more, mm. but then COVID, so I did oh. I couldn't. Oh. Um, but I've been to um, Thought Park a couple times. That's really it. Like I call myself an enthusiast, but I'm hardly an enthusiast. It's a fairly new enthusiast. Yeah. yeah. Oh,
1: okay. Shane, did you used to hate Shakespeare? Of course. <laughs> <I don't>. As <laughs> much Italian. as as much as Matthew used to dislike roller coasters, Definitely. do you think? Were you scared it's of Shakespeare in the same more. way? <laughs> I'm sure I was. <laughs> you, you open the first page,
4: and the words aren't in the right order. <laughs> <laughs> the characters are some crazy Italian family wanting to kill each other and poisoning each other. It's not. It's not an inviting prospect to suddenly walk into a secondary school and you get, you know, you get Romeo and Juliet and you watch watch the TV version or you watch the film version with Leonardo DiCaprio and you go, what a nice story, what an attractive man. Uh. And then you read the book (laughs) and, you know, you don't have Leonardo DiCaprio in it. You have the words on the page. And I think at the time, it takes those sort of four or five years before A-level to appreciate what has been done and what you are gaining from these stories, these books, these plays. And I think that's really what I wanted to investigate because it was only Mm -hmm. as I was doing A-Level English that I began to appreciate that Shakespeare is so much more than I think students give it credit for. It's this bogeyman of literature that is impenetrable Mm -hmm. and so difficult to comprehend unless you're performing it dramatically. And that is how I viewed it. But, you know, this EPQ, it enabled me to research further into it. Look at how the dramatism of Shakespeare can influence your intake of the words that you would just read on a page and how that links to cognitive impact and obviously the cultural importance of Shakespeare, mm-hmm. how deep rooted he is now in UK history, the images around us. But also, and I'm a, I'm a big linguist, I'm a fan of sort of how language changes and Shakespeare He's a massive innovator of his time, in where we now have strict grammar rules, Shakespeare doesn't care. Mm -hmm. He doesn't care where words are meant to be. He is using what he thinks fits. And I think that is something we have lost now.
1: It's difficult to explain to year 7s why they have to spell their own name correctly when yes. you teach them that Shakespeare didn't really have an agreed way of spelling his own name. <laughs> like, well hang on, you're pretty, you're pretty strict on when we spell things and you have to say, "Yeah, we have spellings now. <laughs> you have to spell things now." Uh, I think that a lot of them sympathise with Shakespeare.
0: Um, After reading your EPQ, Shane, I thought I was really fascinated by the idea that you talked about the swapping of verbs and nouns and how they're so fluid, and even parts of speech that, that Shakespeare was willing to mess about with. I was wondering if you could talk about that in a little bit more detail, because that was something that appealed to me, perhaps, as English yeah, teacher. Yeah,
4: so what it's, what it's called in linguistics is it's a functional shift, and Shakespeare, oftentimes, I think he was using a noun as a verb. So he would say, instead of how we might say something reddens something, that I think could potentially stem from Shakespeare going, it, he would just put the noun in mm. where the verb would be. There was no care for what grammatical class the word belonged to. It was just, I know what I want to say. <laughs> I know what word fulfills that meaning. So I'm just gonna throw it in there and hope it's understood, because that's the thing, they are performed as plays, so the words that the actors are saying, as long as, you know, the gesticulation and the performance is all correct, the words that they are saying don't necessarily have to be, every word doesn't have to be analysed by the audience, it's the play as a whole, it's the scene as a whole, and I think that's such an underrated part of Shakespeare's, you know, works, you can't, It's difficult to analyse each word because he doesn't always stick to those templates, is what they're called, where you have, you know, X, verb, X. He will put a noun in there and the meaning is still carried through. So I think I refer to it as the semantic meaning is carried even though the grammatical sense is not there. Mm -hmm. And it's something so unique to Shakespeare.
2: I think the really mm. good example you used for for that functional shift in your as your work is he would companion me mm. thank you for finding that because I uh, could not remember that uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like that bit rather too. than he would accompany me yes, yes. Yeah, um, But one it's one. still especially i mean I've been doing an opera workshop all morning we've we've been talking about it the idea that just because you can't understand the words are being said, the words that are being said um it doesn't mean you can't understand you know that someone's been shot or that someone's fallen out with someone else
5: mm. um. Yeah that's like the beauty of plays and movies, well, more plays and theatre. You can. You don't mm-hmm. need to know the exact word. You can kind of see it before your eyes. And I think that is really the essence of, of Shakespeare.
1: So are we agreeing that Shane has the best EP key? Yeah, yet? I was going to say, it sounds <laughs> like you're conceding to <laughs> Shane right now. I feel we need to know, Matthew, how safe are roller coasters?
3: <laughs> um, well, firstly, I don't, I don't think Shane is the most important. I didn't really like English. Wow. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. All right, man. <laughs> 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 After the personal attack, um, roller coasters... <laughs> so I, I basically went through and speak talking about the NDA earlier from IAPA. They released data or to their members, not to the Republic, of um, roller coaster accidents and rates of those accidents. And I basically looked at the serious injury rate per, per million rides, so per every trip around the roller yeah. coaster and then compared that with so i got data from the department of transport uh, who had data on other types of transport obviously so like cars cycling trains and planes and found and calculated accident rates on those different types of transport and then i basically found that roller coasters had 0.02 serious injury per million rides and something like cycling had, I think had 3.78 injuries per million rides serious injuries per million rides and it was to the point where roller coasters were so low that it was even lower than aviation Mm. in that raw number granted a a trip on a plane for an hour or so is going to be a lot longer than a five minute roller coaster Mm -hmm. ride but even if I think I couldn't look into it because there wasn't enough data. But I think even if you could account for the length, it's so that number could maybe be above like aviation, but it wouldn't be up to the point where it's above cycling and hmm. unsafe at that point. So it was just so low that I, they're really safe, basically. Hmm.
2: I Th- think
1: uh, d- does that match people's perception? Do people perceive roller coasters no. to be really dangerous? Because people like yeah. pretending that they are, because it makes it more exciting to go on them. But it, do you think there is actually a perception that they're dangerous?
3: So, yes, I definitely do, because I also looked, I talked about the distribution of accidents um, earlier and how the, the I had data sets which looked at the um, distribution of accident types, mm-hmm. So like, what caused the accident, like, was it someone being silly and putting their four-year-old child on a, a ride where you have to be over six foot to get on? <laughs> Something like that. Quite a ride. Yeah, that's no, what ride. I
1: mean when I use the word silly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, but so it, it was looking at those causes of them. Um, and I had one data set which was from official streams of reporting, such as food trade bodies and um, governmental data in the U.S., so granted not the UK, but, um, and then I also had one which just looked at the 10, re- looked at 10 reported incidents each year in the media, and then I basically compared the accident causes of both of them, and found that for the causes of the more media-based source, it was, the accident type causes were a lot more shocking, so mm-hmm. you'd have, a lot more detachment and derailment and collisions whereas actually in actual fact the from the less um media based one it was only about half of accidents are caused by the something going wrong with the roller coaster the other half are caused by people being silly or Mm -hmm. being idiots or having a like a health related issue which isn't related to the roller coaster Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. it like problem with their diabetes midway around a loop-de-loop or something God. like that. There was one which I enjoyed. Um, oh <laughs> Enjoying, no. No. Enjoying no, serious be be injuries. the so sort of there accident w- date you release. As well. <laughs> no, this is this is in the public one, but there's one where some guy halfway around a loop-de-loop got hit in the face by a duck. <laughs> um. Yeah, so... Was the duck alright? <laughs> um, I couldn't tell you, but he did have he got cut on his face from it and had to go to hospital. Well, wow. the, the we the, don't care about the man, yeah, we care about yeah, the duck, yeah. do you? Uh, <laughs> I, I have a feeling it may be what happens like when, when you just shoot a pigeon. <laughs> wow. you fast.
1: The person who shouted duck to him was right <laughs> in two senses as well. Yeah. That's what I like
2: about that. Yeah. The, the interesting part about yours as well is the whole like finding out that almost all of the accidents that happen are human-based, that people are the causes yeah, of the no, problem. Yeah,
3: no, no, I wouldn't say almost all, it's about half, so uh, half of accidents are caused by a passenger error, not even necessarily uh, operator error. Surely, the like, granted, the operator could have spotted that they didn't put their seatbelt yeah. down, but if you're going on a yeah. multi-ton <laughs> machine which goes around, <laughs> flying around in <laughs> the nearby scene park, you're going to want to put that over that that bar over you and make sure <laughs> you don't fall out.
1: Does Mrs. Summers not like roller coasters? I, I saw Mrs. Summers used squirming. I loved
0: them, but since I've had a child, I don't know why there's something oh about yeah. it.
1: Food.
5: A the I, for the stomach me, because like I well.
0: want to be alive for my child. And B yes. the, the idea of her going on them when she's older. <laughs>
5: But Matthews EPQ would say you should be more worried about ten
3: times more about driving to school than getting on that Thanks.
0: roller coaster. and also, I mean, she's not yeah, doing yeah, any cycling whatsoever. If <laughs> you've got that bike,
3: out. you're over sixty times more likely to die. Wow. <laughs>
1: But the numbers are still incredibly small, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. This is what, yeah. So The three things you have to do when you present percentages and, 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 and probability, I guess, sense. is, yeah. is yeah. make that relative to... Mm. That is Unless you're cycling in London. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Unless
3: <laughs> <laughs> you're cycling in London when it's like 25. Yeah. Wow.
1: Can I bring Ruben in? I've got a link here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it true to say that actually the economy has more ups and downs than a roller coaster. Wow. Oh. wow. That's and that the, that's the, the booms nasty. and busts and the recessions and the high points, that they're built in, isn't that just the system we have? That we have boom and bust, we pretend that it can be an equilibrium, it can't, we have a boom and bust system, deal with it.
5: Yeah, I think that's a very um, fair point to say. I think the kind of inherent thing about the economy and the market is that it's not going to be stable um, no matter how people wish that it was stable i guess people in kind of like the housing market and you know with their savings they want it to be good for them um but or just good in general but that's never going to happen um i think gordon brown when he was the um when he was in the government he was saying kind of like no return to boom and bust this kind of thing but that is i think it's it's inevitable really because i mean if you look right now with coronavirus who saw that coming Mm. i mean where like there's no one could have foreseen that having the effect that it had on the global economy. Other so than that,
2: Bill Gates' talk from four years ago that got recommended me to the other day, called "We're Not Prepared for a Pandemic."
5: Oh, <laughs> oh. But, um, no! Yeah, so that's <laughs> yeah, it's just. It's, um, I think it is very much like a roller coaster. Going back to your um, mm. your analogy, it is very much like a roller coaster in that. You don't really know what's going to happen next, I guess, unless you go on the roller coaster multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you don't really know what's coming up. You don't know what's ahead in the f- near future or the long term. And, um, could be a duck. It could <laughs> be a duck <laughs> indeed, <laughs> yeah.
1: It could always be. But your EPQ said that people should have been.
5: They should have been out here.
1: For, for this yeah. time, there were indications. What were the indications that were so... Obvious yeah. that the 2008 crash was going to happen for you. Why should people have foreseen it?
5: So I think at that time the U.S. housing. So I focus on the U.S.A. I should probably mention at this point because um, this is obviously where it kind of it culminated. This is where it started, and um, I think the U.S. housing bubble was a big, um, big uh, root or a big determinant of what was going to happen. What was what was approaching? You saw massive, um, a massive inflation in house prices compared to median household incomes which shows that there was a massive divergence between the actual price and the value of housing also there was just big um, there was a big subprime mortgage failure so people were people who could not feasibly repay these loans were getting all these mortgages were being granted loans when they shouldn't have been because by the banks and the lenders because they had they didn't have the ability to at the end of the day so I think, um, actually there were two, so there's a person called Dean Baker and Robert Schiller and they actually both authored books and who they were able to foresee an, an impending crisis. Um, I think they, they both authored them at least two, three years in advance. So these were people who, they're not, um, they're not like big in big senior positions at the big banks, but these are economists who are using their own knowledge, using mm. the data, which was widely available to the US population and they were applying that to what was um, potentially coming.
0: And from my understanding of reading what you've written, I'm not an economist by any stretch of the imagination, part of the problem was the system didn't incentivise good behaviour, that was yeah. my understanding. Has that changed? Is that Did you find that out in the course of your EQ? Have we, ch- have we changed regulations and so on? Have we made that situation any better or are we heading straight back down that path?
5: <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind <laughs> of a, a, yeah, a gloomy prospect, but no, so I'm, yeah, what I found with mine is that you had the people in the, the senior positions where um, they had no incentive because their pay was determined, their bonuses was determined on how much they could sell. Mm-hmm. And I think at the, um, I talked about how you sh- there should have been increased regulation on the various economic agents involved in it. And I think this did happen towards the end. Obviously, this was more looking in the future, how this potential new crises have been could be avoided and so i think yes there was regulation more regulation put in place but if something like that happens again where it's kind of the, the systematic risk is built in from within the economy rather than an external like the current um covid recession it's it's always difficult because you don't know where the next where um the next uh the next um issue might be brewing or where it might be coming from mm-hmm. you don't know how to prepare for it really
0: I mean, this is very lightly tangentially related. I'm just thinking about, you talked about that it might be a source, Tom, of of future energy. Is there any sense of, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but is there any danger involved in, in investigating dark matter and so on? Could we be interfering with something that we don't understand that could have some kind of awful repercussions, as seems to be the thing with human beings as a general rule?
2: Well, there, there was this big discussion when the Large Hadron Collider was built, that when the Large Hadron Collider collided atoms, that it would create black holes below the world, end of the world. <laughs> um, but actually, the nice thing about dark matter is that because of the way it is, the only thing it can do is change the way gravity behaves around things. And because of the amount of energy we can get from unit dark matter, in my theoretical Tom unit of dark matter, <laughs> the amount of energy you can get out of a single dark matter unit is much larger than the, the effect that that dark matter has on the things around it. So I think ultimately, unless we build a... A source of energy that uh, or a way we extract energy from it that is unsustainable or dangerous or will create a black hole to destroy the entire universe amen. I think um, ultimately there isn't a huge danger and the nice thing is is that um, it isn't like fossil fuel if we start using it as a fuel, if we can use it as a fuel, where we end up um, sort of running out of it because because of the way it is effectively. Do you have faith Tom that dark matter exists? No absolutely not Um, I was at a talk with a professor at at the Large Hadron Collider, quite a senior professor at the Large Hadron Collider, and she's now proved twice over that the theory in her PhD dissertation is absolutely wrong. I think the only thing we're finding at the moment is that dark matter can't be found anywhere. I have faith that there is something causing the behaviour up there. I also have faith that whatever's happening is probably something that will likely remain unsolved. I have very little faith in a future where we are using perhaps dark energy, but that's even more of a mystery. Dark matter? No, I I don't have faith. And I think that's my my whole project came to the idea of this 10 year ultimatum where if in the next 10 years we find we haven't found anything, it's where we basically have to go. Are we taking the right approach to this?
3: Did you say that there were like offshoot developments. Oh, of course
2: there it? are offshoot developments. I mean, you can you look mm. at the Large Hadron Collider that that's led to the development of the internet. You the the sheer improvement in the precision of technology because of these projects has improved. But it improves everywhere else in physics too. Whenever you when you whenever you look for something new,
1: do you think it's like that life advice that people give that if you're not sure what you want to do, you ought to just go out and explore? Yes, I think the
2: the The danger is with modern science is that we lose, uh, it's it's coming back again. This appeared in the first um, podcast, but Mm -hmm. it's coming back again. We lose the ability to explore. Uh, We've already, um, we, the, I think the last living freelance scientist lives in like Dover or something. But the idea is that now as a scientist, you are a physicist. You look at one tiny bit of physics and in the grand scheme of things, your research contributes to one flow into the almighty physics river. Where actually, (laughs) um, you look at the guy who invented microwaves, who were there to defrost hamsters in laboratories, fun fact. Um, He also did work with DNA. He also did work with like laser physics. He was an all-round guy, and all of his inventions formed part of his portfolio. But ultimately, he wasn't a physicist; he was a scientist. Mm-hmm. And I think we're losing the uh, like the exploration uh, in 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 favor of going very far down one one track.
0: Okay, I'm gonna make a link. <laughs> so we're talking about your exploration, <laughs> wonder. I'm coming to okay, you, Shane. So, to what extent is Shane? <laughs> Stop making that face <laughs> at me. <laughs> <laughs> Does Shakespeare for you provoke a sense of, of wonder? Is it a journey of exploration for you when you're looking into Shakespeare? And perhaps even you could give us some examples, if that's not too much to ask. No. <laughs> <laughs> I,
4: I don't think Shakespeare is is something of wonder, you know, because you can look back at it, you can read it, but I think ultimately, I, I said it in my EPQ, I said Shakespeare is becoming outdated. <gasps> You know, the the stories will remain timeless in the abstract way, but there has to come a point where the language change has been so much, the historical change is so different that you have to, you know, put it down to rest and let it lie there and you can smile at it, but don't open it again.
0: It's probably not gonna surprise you that I don't agree with you at all. <laughs> I, I can understand <laughs> that. And
4: I, I think it's it's not a current thing. Mm. I think it is still useful currently. But you know, maybe by the time dark matter is found, mm. we can kill Shakespeare.
5: <laughs> He's already dead. Brave to two English teachers. Yeah. yeah,
4: you picked the wrong environment
2: to disagree with Shakespeare. I
0: mean, we've only got about one, mi- like one minute, so I need to round off in a sec. But I have to say, I I disagree with you because I think he fundamentally. Is able to talk about what it means to be human in a way that no other writer oh, yeah, has who, who ever. You
4: that was Harold Bloom was talking about. Yes, who you wrote about. Shakespeare. And I don't think he was hyperbolic,
0: as you said.
4: <laughs> I think you know Shakespeare. Shakespeare stands. If we're going to bring it to the current current environment, Shakespeare stands were, were ever present in history, and we you know we've got to take a step back and look at it. Look at dark matter research. Look at roller coasters. Look at Shakespeare. Ignore finance because no one likes economics. <laughs> <laughs> and look at them Mr. Bill is going to find world. you <laughs> watching yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and do things. And, and acknowledge that all of these things are part of our lives, but we should just ignore some of them. <laughs> wow. That's my conclusion.
0: I really, I'm well. not sure this is the message we were going
1: for with this <laughs> podcast.
0: And annoyingly, we've got to wrap up now, yeah. sir a tragic message to, to, to end up with
1: <laughs> i think it's been utterly joyful i think no, getting people in a room who've researched something in depth and asking them i i, I have to apologize because some very superficial questions about what are brilliant epqs it has mm-hmm. to be said I think before uh that we've that we've read and the presentations we've seen have been of an exceptional quality mm-hmm. and hopefully people listening have got a sense of them and a sense of how much work each of you has done um, would you recommend uh, doing uh, an EP, if, if yes. students are listening lower down the school, the EPQ process, what you've got from it, should people do an EPQ? Yes, uh, I think if you do three A-levels, uh, I do four A-levels and it's a lot of work, but
2: if you do three A-levels it's a, it's a brilliant opportunity for you to showcase your wider interest. Even if you're not looking at it from a university perspective, which is something we tell the external applicants on the induction days, is don't do it because the universities will often lower their requirements for you that's just a byproduct of it do it because it shows you're interested and do it because it will help you find a specialist subject
0: That was more like it that was much more on message yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm glad that you are pr <laughs> even even on the yeah. podcast it's in pr mode brilliant okay i think we've got to round off because sadly we are running out of time thank you to my fantastic guests today that was Ruben, shane matthew and tom who've as you say given us some brilliant insights bit of a different episode today we'll be back later this week with Mr. Samuels on Machiavelli, I hope. I hope I'm not tempting fate by mentioning that on the podcast. We'll have to put them in a different <laughs> order. It'll be fine, it'll be fine. Um, yes, and thank you to Mr. Taylor, of course, for being here. Uh, thank you to our fantastic production team and, and putting up with how much demand I put on their time and <laughs> demanding whether the studio's available. And of course, make sure you subscribe to us um, on YouTube. Uh, Jenny Summers with an I, uh, Jenny with an I um, would be fantastic spotify you know all the different places apple find us there give us a comment email us you know tell us how, what you're thinking who do you want to be a next guest who do you want to you know do you want to be on the panel you don't have to be a sick former either we, we really want to bring this down to to some of the younger years and see if we can get them uh, involved and interested too yeah. so do you, and also solve the clue which i'm now going to put my head to and try and figure out
1: Three That's clues so far. Big prize. Big mm. prize Big for somebody. Is available.
0: Absolutely. Email them. Um, yeah, I think that is pretty much it. So thank you. Hope to see you and hear from you all uh, soon and uh, that you'll keep listening and go to our back catalogue and enjoy that too. Thank,
1: thank you very, very much. much. Bye. Hurrah. Hurrah.